what is in a name? What's in a name? If you're a parent, or maybe even a parent-to-be, how much time and energy did you spend or have you spent in choosing and selecting a name for your child? I find that choosing a name can be harder than it seems because, well, it will be their name forever, unless, of course, they change it later in life. Some of us choose family names, keeping with tradition, while others of us choose something more unique and different. That's what we did in the Smith family. When your last name is Smith, if your first name is Jeff, there's millions of Jeff Smiths in the world. So Brennan and Lawson were named differently, so we know which Smith they were talking about, that they belonged to us. I once read an article in the New York Times that noted a a pop culture site that conducted an online survey of parents who were choosing names for their children, and it revealed that 64% of parents googled their potential child's name before settling on it. The article also talked about another couple who they were not really sure what to name the child. The father wanted one name, the mother wanted another name, and they didn't know what to do, so they downloaded an iPhone app called Kick to Pick. And basically how it works is you hold your iPhone next to the mother's womb, and when the baby kicks, the app works in such a way that it begins to toggle between the two names until eventually it stops on one of them, and that settles the disputes. How's that for technology? Isn't it great? Names have meaning. Open up your Bible and you will find a number of names. Isaac means he laughs. He was named this because, well, Sarah laughed at God when God told her that at 90 years young she was going to have a child. Moses, his name means drawn from the water. If you know the story of Moses, he was found in a basket of reeds on the Nile River by Pharaoh's daughter. There are many names in the Bible, and most of them have deep-rooted meanings. In fact, I find that sometimes people even live in to their names. His name was Simeon which in Hebrew means heard or to hear. Simeon was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit, Luke said, rested upon him. And God had revealed to him an important message that he would not die until he laid eyes on the Lord's Messiah. Simeon was aging fast. And he had been a devout follower of Yahweh all of his life. And he was eagerly awaiting the day in which God would fulfill his promise to Israel that the Messiah would come to deliver them from their enemies so that they could worship God without fear. On this particular day, the Holy Spirit guided Simeon to the temple, which just happened to be the same day in which Mary and Joseph brought their newborn baby there to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice for the purification of Mary. They were fulfilling the law required by Moses, and Simeon had heard God's leading to go. So prompted by the Spirit, Simeon goes, and in doing so, he sees this baby, and he takes this baby in his arms, and he praised God. 
And he declared, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Joseph and Mary are amazed at what Simeon says about their child. He seems to know more about their baby than both of them. And he also goes on to say that Jesus will cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. God had revealed to him that Jesus would not only raise up the downcast, but that he would also cast down those who exalted themselves. Simeon heard God's voice and finally, in his own lifetime, held the infant in his own arms, the fulfillment of God's covenant with the house of Israel. You could say that Simeon heard. He lived into his name as he listened to God. Well, as you know, about 33 years passed, and this infant became a man and had a ministry throughout the region, the country of Israel. He had attracted 12 followers and performed many amazing miracles everywhere he went, but he also caused a lot of controversy. One day he entered into a wealthy town called Jericho, and many who were there gathered around him to see him. And Jericho is also the place where we find another man called Zacchaeus, which in Hebrew means pure and righteous. But Zacchaeus had certainly not lived up to his name. He was a Jew, but unlike Simeon, he had sold out to the Roman government. He was a chief tax collector, and in doing so, he worked for the government of Rome, which angered his Jewish people because he was seen as a traitor. And collecting the tax for Rome, he had the authority, and Rome allowed him to take a little extra for himself, which allowed him to enjoy his affluent lifestyle. You could say that Zacchaeus didn't have very many friends who weren't also tax collectors. While this wee little man in our Sunday school song seems cute and cuddly and adorable, he was nothing of the sort He was more like a despised AIG executive or maybe more like a Bernie Madoff who enjoyed the benefits of others' hard-earned money, stealing it right from under them while they suffered to make ends meet. Make no bones about it, Zacchaeus was a hated sinner in the eyes of the Jews, but he had taken interest in this man who entered Jericho that day, but he couldn't see him because of the crowds. So humiliating himself, he ran ahead of the crowds and he climbed up into a tree. But the truth is, even if Zacchaeus could see him from the tree, he couldn't really see who he was, for his short stature wasn't the only thing preventing him from seeing Jesus. Well, as you know, this man walked directly up to the tree in which Zacchaeus was in, and he called him by his name, and he had the audacity to invite himself over to his home. 
It had probably been a while since Zacchaeus had entertained friends, for it's hard to have friends when people know you're a thief under the protection of Rome. But for whatever reason, this man chooses to go to his house and to dine with him, angering the rest of the crowd for choosing to eat with the sinner. Then something strange happened. An awkward silence, perhaps? The man dining with Zacchaeus didn't give a sermon. There's nothing that indicates any conversation about condemnation or a lesson on morality. In fact, this man says nothing at all. Rather, it's Zacchaeus who has a confession to make. And he stands up before him saying that he will give half of his possessions to the poor, and that if he has defrauded anyone of anything, which he certainly has done, that he will pay back four times as much. Finally, the man speaks. Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Somehow his name now seemed to fit. The one who had been unrighteous and impure in his greed, hungering for wealth, the one who had cheated the poor and found refuge in the enemy, had just been declared righteous and had just been made pure by the man who occupied his home. Zacchaeus had welcomed salvation into his home and into his life. But what connects these two stories is precisely what this man declared to Zacchaeus. Salvation. You see, Luke, uses the word salvation only four times in the entirety of his gospel. And we have just witnessed two of them in the stories that we have read. In the Greek, Luke uses the term salvation as an adjective twice to describe the indirect object, which is God. Luke is describing God's action with the world. In our English translations, it comes across as a noun, a thing to be seen, but the Greek language uses the term as a descriptive. The two instances are when Simeon holds the baby in his arms and declares that his eyes have seen God's salvation, and in Luke chapter 3 verse 6, where the prophecy from Isaiah 40 is quoted to fulfill John the Baptist's preparation for the Messiah that says, All flesh shall see the salvation of God. Those are descriptives. In other words, Simeon had beheld God's promise when his eyes looked at Mary and Joseph's newborn baby. In him, salvation, deliverance, would take place. And not only would Simeon see this, all flesh, both Jew and Gentile, alike would see the deliverance and saving act of this child. In the other two instances, Luke uses the term salvation as a noun. When John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, is prophesying about his own son, he proclaims that John the Baptist will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. In other words... John will bear witness 
to the newborn king through his ministry of baptism in the Jordan that will ultimately lead him to baptize the Son of God, the person Jesus. And it's this man who encounters Zacchaeus in Jericho who proclaims that today salvation has come to this house. You see, this is the only instance in all of Matthew, Mark, and Luke that this Galilean uses the term salvation at all, much less regarding himself. I'm going to cut this mic off. You see, the truth is that salvation has a name, and his name is Jesus. Salvation is found in the saving and delivering act of the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. His salvation is made known in the present, but will be fully known to us in the future. And Jesus' name itself is derived from the Hebrew word Yeshua or Joshua, meaning salvation or Savior. Remember the words of the angel Gabriel to Mary in Luke's Gospel? He tells her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You see, when Mary and Joseph found out that they were having a baby, they didn't go to the local bookstore and get a book of baby names and have a conversation all night long about what they would name this child. God sent a messenger ahead of them and told him what to name him. God had chosen a name to describe himself, Jesus. Salvation. Savior to all. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people of Israel. And it's precisely this child, the salvation that has come into the world, who was seen by Simeon, but was also seen by all flesh, the righteous and the devout, and by those who had turned away from God completely. Some saw Jesus and welcomed him. Others saw him and turned away or rejected him altogether. You see, salvation comes to the righteous who seek the Savior, and to the unrighteous the Savior seeks. Let me say that again. Salvation comes to the righteous who seek the Savior, Simeon, and to the unrighteous the Savior seeks, Zacchaeus. As we begin this new year, We remember that just a week and a half ago, we celebrated the birth of this baby in a manger who brings hope to all the nations and salvation to those who trust and believe in him. Today, God reminds us that whether we find ourselves like Simeon, searching and listening for God intently and on a daily basis, or even if we find ourselves like Zacchaeus, Turning away from God completely, making compromises in our life that hinder us from truly seeing God's salvation. That salvation has come to us in Jesus Christ. 
God's salvation comes to us because there is nothing that we can do to reconcile our sinfulness in the presence of God's holiness. God's love and grace come to us in Jesus Christ not to condemn us, but to save us from the sin that so easily entangles us and prevents us from clearly seeing God. God's love is a love that pursues us wherever we are. It's not a love that demands that we clean ourselves up first and then come and find Jesus. It's a love that says to us, I will come to you and pull you up out of your mess and out of the darkness that you have been in, and I will bring you into the light of my salvation if you will let me. It's a love that seeks the lost and calls them by name, calling out to you and to me, just as Jesus approached that sycamore tree and called Zacchaeus by name to come down that he might come and stay at his house. Jesus calls your name, a name that has meaning, but means far more to God than it could ever mean to us. Luke's gospel proclaims salvation was affirmed through the eyes of Simeon, that salvation entered into the home of a sinner named Zacchaeus, and that salvation is offered through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our true salvation. Maybe today you thought that you would come like Zacchaeus, looking to get a glimpse of Jesus got some good news for you. Jesus has come to meet you face to face, calling out your name, and he wants to invite himself over. He wants to invite himself in. But you see, you have a choice. You don't have to let him in. Just a chapter before this story about Zacchaeus Jesus is encountered by a rich young ruler who comes wanting to know how he can inherit eternal life. How can he have salvation? He is standing right in front of salvation and salvation speaks to him and tells him, hey, there's something that you need to do first. You need to get rid of this wealth that's gotten in the way of you and God. And Luke tells us that this man who came seeking that answer, he walked away sad because he was a man of great wealth. And I am convinced that he is not the only person who walked away sad. I believe that Jesus walked away sad too because he was standing right there in front of him wanting to offer him this gift, wanting to be let in. But he couldn't receive him. You see, salvation has a name. And his name is Jesus. And he's calling out your name to welcome him and the transformative life that he offers to all who will receive him. And my prayer for me and for you and for all of us and for our church is that we, like Simeon and also like Zacchaeus, can be able to declare that our eyes have seen his salvation. We have seen him. We have seen what he does. His acts of salvation in this world. The ways in which he changes a sinner to a saint. Not because they're special, but because he is. Because he offers grace and mercy, free of charge.
to anyone who is willing to receive it. My prayer for us this new year is that we would start afresh by holding on to His grace, accepting His love, and clinging to His salvation as He holds us all in the grip of His grace. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.